book of Jonah is uh, where we're headed this morning, and we'll just go ahead and start by reading the first two verses, and then we'll get into a little bit of the background and, and where we may head over the next several weeks. In Jonah 1.1, we read, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. When Brother Greg asked uh, several weeks ago if I would teach a Sunday school series, uh, the Lord put this on my heart. I had been studying Jonah on and off for the last year or so, and this is what um, the Lord gave me uh, to teach on for the next several weeks. And it's a book that I think is very familiar uh, to a lot of people. Um, as we go through it, I kind of struggled with how exactly to present the book of Jonah. Um, I think it's going to feel sometimes uh, like a verse-by-verse Bible study of the book. I think at times we'll wrap up some themes into uh, to similar thoughts. Uh, it'll feel more like a sermon in some regards. Um, so it's going to be kind of a hybrid of uh, a little bit of everything. So bear with me as we go through it. If it feels a little bit back and forth between a verse-by-verse and, and some in some summary survey type of lessons. Um, we'll take that from the Lord, and, and I'll uh, seek him on direction on, on how to present it week to week. Uh, it's not a lengthy book. It's all of four chapters. Uh, you could probably sit down and read the book of Jonah in ten minutes, maybe. Um, it's very short. I'd say it's very well known. I think if we looked at this short book and the, the many details and the pictures that we see, we could probably spend months and months looking at this book, and that's where I think sometimes I struggle in preparing a lesson is I feel like we have this much information, this much time um, to get it out. So there'll be opportunity if the Lord leads you to study on your own some of the things that we look at. There's some things that we're just going to look at, and I'll tell you why I think something or why I looked at something uh, and move on rather quickly. Uh, and some of those I just, in my mind, uh, I didn't have a lot of um, direction to study out, and, and I'll share those as we, we go along. As I said, Jonah's probably one of the best-known accounts in the Bible. If you asked somebody who was not a believer, somebody in your workplace, if they knew about Jonah, I'm sure most everybody would say, of course, we know about Jonah. And if you asked them, well, what, what is Jonah about? They say, oh, the, the guy who got swallowed by the whale, right? Um, I know we had paperback books uh, for our kids of several Bible accounts. Jonah was one of them um, that you would flip open and you'd see the whale. And I think you might have been able to manipulate the book and Jonah got swallowed by the whale. Pretty, pretty cool stuff. But in reality, the Bible never says that it's a whale. It says it's a great fish. I think the NIV uses the term huge. Um, and that's a stumbling block for a lot of people. And, and again, we won't spend a lot of time on the exact type of fish that it was. But as we go through, we'll look at that a little bit. Um, when I look at this book, I think it's a tremendous work of condensed narration. I think there's a lot that is taken and wrapped up into just four short chapters. Um, you think about this man's life and this journey of fleeing and then coming back and traveling through Nineveh, all this happening. We read it so short and so quickly, we think that, man, this must have been an overnight adventure. But this was days and weeks of Jonah's life. Um, I think this book probably suffers from an overemphasis on the miracle of the great fish. I think that's what people just tag Jonah with is, oh, it's the fish, it's the fish, it's the whale, whatever it may be. And just for illustrative sake, um, again, we won't get into the proof or disproof of somebody being swallowed by a whale. But 
The blue whale is one of the largest, if not the largest whale. I, I hear there's a, one that's been discovered in Peru. Won't try to pronounce what they named it. But if you want to look it up, you can later. But a blue whale, for example, is 100 feet long and about 440,000 pounds. Um, so in my mind, it's not a huge leap to think that I could fit inside of a whale. Um, in fact, three school buses would fit inside the whale. So I think feasibly we could explain, yeah, somebody, a human being could be swallowed by a whale. But so many get caught up in trying to decipher. Was this just illustrative language? Was it, was it just the author trying to prove a point um, by some dramatic, overzealous um, illustration? Or is there scientific proof that we can point to somebody living inside a whale? Again, we won't spend a lot of time on that because I don't think it's important. I think neither the deletion of this miracle or the rationalization solves the difficulty of what happened to Jonah. Uh, it remains an object of faith, and there's really no explanation other than this is what God said happened, uh, and I believe it. Um, I think we, we can look at Nicodemus, and he's trying to wrap his head around, what, is, what do you mean be born again? Again, something that I can't put words to, that I can't articulate here for you. But as Jesus said to Nicodemus, you simply have to believe. This is what it means to be born again. This is how it happens, and the miracle is the miracle. I think the miracle of Jonah being swallowed by this great fish did happen. I think it was a real thing, um, and I think that it was well known. Uh, but just the course of that, that experience of Jonah being swallowed by this great fish, I think so many miss out on what else the book points to. There are many other miracles in this book that are just as great as being swallowed by a great fish. There's a, a sea that is calmed. In the midst of a storm, there's a vine that grows up in a the, the matter of hours. There's a worm that eats it. There's an east wind that comes and dries things out. And arguably the greatest miracle all of this book is the repentance of Nineveh. How much greater is that miracle of Nineveh being saved than a man being swallowed by a fish? Again, and I'll probably say whale at times just because it's, it's been so beaten into my head just in the vernacular of what we've studied, Jonah and the whale. But it's a great fish, a huge fish, is minuscule on the spectrum of miracles compared to somebody being born again, being saved, being given the opportunity to know the Lord. And again, as we look through this book, I, I would ask you know, a question, and, and no hands or replies necessary. If somebody were to ask you, what is the theme of the book of Nona? Of Nona? Let's get a drink of coffee. Settle this down. So Nona is the brother of Jonah. Uh, we won't study him. But if I asked you what the theme of Jonah was, what might you think in your mind? Again, you don't have to answer out loud. I would offer up that I think one of the overarching themes that strikes me in the book of Jonah is grace. I think we see grace all throughout the book of Jonah. Again, I think that's an easy answer to say, What's the theme of the Bible? Grace, right? I remember asking our kids when they would come up from Sunday school or down from Sunday school at Abundant Grace, what did you guys talk about today? Jesus, God, Holy Spirit, right? It was always the easy answer to go to because you were never wrong, right? I could go ask our Sunday school, well, do you talk about Jesus? Yes. Do you talk about God? Yes. Holy Spirit? Yes. Okay, this is the easy answer. So if someone asked you today, what did you guys learn about in church today? You could just say, Jesus, God, Holy Spirit, and, and have the answer just like our kids did um, when they came down from Sunday school. We see grace all throughout Scripture. Again, it's the central theme of, of the Bible, God's mercy to mankind. 
As we go through the book of Jonah, I think we'll see it displayed on several occasions. We see grace simply in the fact that he doesn't squash Jonah, that he doesn't um, destroy him for his unbelief. Sorry, I'm trying to advance. We'll wait on that for a second. But we see grace that he doesn't squash Jonah. He doesn't cast him away. Again, and we, we look at Psalms 33. It'll pop up here in a minute um, when I can click to it. But it says, the Lord looks from heaven and he sees all the sons of men. Again, I, I marvel at this thought that God looks upon us from heaven, that he sees us, that he knows man. I think of, of what David said, what, what is man that you are mindful of him? God is so far above us, so far above mankind, yet he looks upon us. He loves us. That causes me to pause and to marvel. We see in this book the grace of God to speak and to commune with Jonah, to deliver him, to give him a second chance to show his almighty hand at work in the lives of his people and the nations at large. We see grace that provides everything Jonah needs, naturally and supernaturally. We see grace to save the filth of the world, to save the wickedest and vilest of mankind, to save a sinner such as I. We see grace to desire that God's desire shone forth that no man should perish, that all should come to a knowledge of him, that all should repent. Grace that shows his mercies fail not, that his compassions are new every morning, and that he sustains us each and every day. And as we go through this brief study, we'll see the grace of God highlighted on several occasions. Some other themes that we see in this book are Jonah's character, and and it illustrates God's relationship to man. Through Jonah's character, his attitudes, his qualities, we see God dealing with him, foreshadowing the history of the nation of Israel outside of the land, trouble with the Gentiles, witnessing to the Gentiles, cast out but miraculously preserved, and in the future, deepest distress, finally turning to the Lord. We will also see that Jonah's experience typifies Christ. Again, not Jonah himself specifically in some of his actions and reactions, but rather that death, burial, and resurrection. Christ himself refers to Jonah, the miracle of Jonah and his teachings, and we'll get to that later in the study. And then on a personal level, as I've studied this book, it's spoken to me. Uh, When I reflect on Jonah, I can see Jonah in me. When I reflect in Nineveh, I can see Nineveh in me. I'm reminded in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I think Jonah shows us that. I think that Jonah shows us nothing good dwells within us, and I know that to be the case for me. I see Jonah in me in doubting and rejecting and turning my back on the Lord at times. I see Nineveh in me stuck in that miry pit of unbelief and not being saved. I remember the vile person that I was and how God was kind, how he was patient, how he was gracious, how he sent different ones to share the gospel with me, to take that time to understand I was living a life that was contrary to him, that I was an enemy of his, yet he he showed grace. He sent somebody to tell me of his love despite ongoing rejection. God turned towards Nineveh and gave them an opportunity to know him as he did for Jonah, as he's done for me. And through that, it provided opportunity for others. In my own life, it's provided an opportunity for my kids to know him. My family that was 
unsaved before I came to know the Lord. A few of them have come to know the Lord. God's grace working through the unbelief of others. God's grace working in every situation to take opportunity to show his mercy, to show his love. God appointed an opportunity for Jonah to know him more. And again, as we see, Jonah missed some opportunities, and we'll discuss those as we go. Now, we'll, we'll begin to look at this book a little bit um, as we have that background and that introduction. Again, many presume that Jonah himself wrote this book. It's not explicitly recorded as to who authored it. And, and again, we won't spend any time. I am of the opinion if we needed to know who authored this book, it would be clearly delineated for us. Regardless of who authored it, I think Jonah was very much involved in telling his story, whether he's the one that actually wrote it or somebody took his account and wrote it for him. Jonah was not shy in telling his story, and we'll get to that later on as well. I think Jonah wanted us to learn. I think Jonah learned in the end from these events, though it took a lot of time for him to get there. Jonah was a prophet who lived about the time of Jeroboam II, and we'll see that in 2 Kings 14.25 if you want to turn there. This is the only mention of Jonah outside of the book of Jonah in the Old Testament. In 2 Kings 14.25 we read, And he, Jeroboam II, restored the territory of Israel from the entrance of Hamath, the sea of Arabah, according to the word of the Lord God of Israel, which he had spoken through his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet who was from Gath-Hefer. This probably would have been around 782 B.C. Again, one of those facts, I look at a handful of sources and try to corroborate some of these time frames. But again, we won't spend a lot of time on the exact timing of this but around 780 B.C. Despite Jeroboam's evil 41-year reign, God restored the border of Israel almost to the extent of what Solomon's kingdom was. We see God's grace providing for his people despite that evil reign, and that's really not the point of our study here. Jeroboam's not the point of our study, but I only pointed out to show that Jonah had been used by God. His, his prophet, his ministry had been used by God to deal with ungodly people. Jonah was well-equipped for the work that God was calling him to do. This restoration was linked to the word that the the Lord spoke through the prophet Jonah. Again, Jonah was a man of God. He was a prophet of God. He was used of God. Again, we don't see much of Jonah outside of that. We see him mentioned a couple of times in the New Testament by the Lord himself. And I think that also helps emphasize a point that we don't necessarily have to have some well-known, well-documented life or account to be used mightily of God. Jonah, a man that we don't have much recorded about, partook of one of the greatest miracles in my mind that's been recorded in the Bible for us. His his name means dove, and that that has the thought of gentle rest. The dove is used in offerings. It's symbolic of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. His father's name, Amittai, means my truth. Again, Jonah seems to have had a lineage where his parents knew of God. Jonah himself was a prophet used of God. He lived near the end of Elisha's ministry, likely around the same time as Hosea and Amos. He was a prophet from Gath-Hefer and Zebulon, which is northeast in Galilee. Again, just a little background of where we'll go and, and jump off in the book of Nona. No. Jonah. Uh, Man, I have no idea where Nona's coming from. It was the evil brother of his. Um, my apologies. Jonah. So let's start. Let's get into Jonah. Let's read the first three verses. Back to Jonah chapter 1. 
Jonah 1.1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Again, as we start, as was mentioned before, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Again, that's a privileged place that Jonah had. The Lord spoke to him. He was a prophet. He had a relationship with God. He had a privileged place in serving the Lord. He had a testimony, as we read about a moment ago in Second Kings, of being used by the Lord, of the Lord using his word to bring about his will. And it's easy as we go through the book of Jonah to pile on him, and we'll look repeatedly at some of his shortcomings, some of his mistakes. But I think a small piece of this book and its purpose is to show us just how strong the flesh is, that no one is exempt from the old man, the flesh that that rears its ugly head. Jonah was a man, but a man that doesn't yield to God is susceptible to failure. David, a man after God's own heart, also experiences When dealing with God's people, Jonah was seemingly quick to speak, as we saw in the book of 2 Kings. However, when this new instruction came, we see some hesitation on Jonah's part. The Lord spoke to Jonah. He gave him clear instructions. He said, go. This was a missionary journey of sorts for Jonah to go and to speak to this Gentile nation. This was God's instruction to bring about his will, even if it didn't make sense to Jonah. Again, the instruction was clear, go. There was no doubt in Jonah's mind what he was supposed to do. It was clear what he didn't want to do took precedent. In our own lives, has there been times that the Lord has asked you to do something that you didn't want to do? Maybe there's a time coming up that the Lord will ask you to do something that you don't want to do. And I don't think that's necessarily wrong. There's lots of things my boss asks me to do that I don't want to do, but I have to do them because their their direction that is given to me. He has the ability and the authority to ask me to do these things. And sometimes reluctantly I do them. I don't ever go buy a, a fare to Tarshish to flee my boss. How much more should we when the Lord asks us to do something? Again, it, it may not make sense, but we need to get his mind and understand if the direction is clear, it's clear. And that's what he in, intends for us to do. To understand that God works all things according to the counsel of his will, his perfect counsel. He knows The beginning from the end, even if it doesn't make sense, his will is perfect and we can trust him. When it doesn't make sense, it's an opportunity for us to pause and to get into his presence and find his mind, find his strength, find his direction for our lives. As we read in the New Testament, and we mention often that father who said, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. When we get into those situations where it just doesn't make sense what the Lord is calling us to do or telling us to do, and get into his presence. I believe that's what Jonah should have done. Jonah was given two commands there in verse 2. It said, go and cry. Again, just in, in its own right, to go and cry is something that's really easy to do. Our kids have it down pat. They understand how to cry and to go places. But from a spiritual sense, from a, the sense of maturity, God had clear direction for him. Go to Nineveh and cry out against it. God gives clear direction, and this will be repeated again later in chapter 3. But it's important to understand that God allows us to be partakers of his divine nature. Brother David mentioned that a couple Sunday school lessons ago. What a privilege we have to be a part of that divine nature. 
He doesn't need us to be a part of it, but he allows us. He gives us the opportunity and the privilege to be a part of his working and a part of his plan. Jonah was given a great privilege to speak God's word to this people that was desperately wicked. The thought of go has the, the, just the simple meaning of walk, depart, proceed. There was a physical action in going forth. A picture of the Gentiles, of going to the Gentiles so that they might receive salvation. The Jews were not pleased with this. Jonah wasn't pleased with this for a variety of reasons, which we won't get into much now. Maybe in a, a couple of lessons we will. But this was God's plan. And we can go to Isaiah chapter 49 and we see that. In Isaiah 49, 6, sorry that came up so small. But in Isaiah 49, verse 6, it says, Indeed, he says, Is it too small a thing that you should be my servant, to raise up the tribes of Jacob, and to restore the preserved ones of Israel? I will also show you as a light to the Gentiles, that you should be my salvation to the ends of the earth. And we'll go to the New Testament and see something similar to that in Luke chapter 2, and verses 29 through 32. In Luke 2, 29... We read, the Lord, excuse me, we read, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace, Simeon speaking here, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and a glory to your people Israel. Again, God's plan was to save all humanity. Jonah was a forerunner, a picture of God's plan in this case. Jesus himself spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Light is needed for life, to see, to move about, to eat, to drink. Light provides so much naturally, but spiritually speaking, Jesus is the light that we need in our lives, in our hearts. A light to the Gentiles coming to all humanity. Jesus came to Israel, but he came for all of mankind. We who were once far off have been brought near by his blood. God's plan of salvation is universal. Whoever, whosoever will may come. And this light was promised to the Gentiles. And Jonah was a forerunner and an example of it. In Ephesians chapter 5, in verse 8, we read, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord, and have no fellowship with unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. Again, walk as children of light. We have been exposed to the light. We have been given Christ in us, the hope of glory. Again, just as a flashlight, when the the sun is out, a flashlight doesn't do much good. We need to shine in this dark world. We need to let our light shine to those in need. Jonah needed to let his light shine to Nineveh. We can walk in this light as Jesus exhorts us to to bear fruit, to let our light shine before this dark world. The second thing God told Jonah was to cry out, to call out, to proclaim. In Isaiah 58 and verse 1, we read this instruction. Cry aloud, spare not, lift up your voice like a trumpet, tell the people of their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. Again, this was clear instruction given to Isaiah here, to Jonah earlier. Cry out, tell the house of Jacob, their sins. And again, I don't know everybody's interpersonal reactions or interactions with others, but I don't particularly like pointing out when people are doing something wrong. It's not very comfortable to tell somebody they're doing something wrong. Now, I know people that love to tell people they're doing something wrong. 
and we won't get into to that aspect of it this morning, but it says isn't always comfortable to tell somebody you're wrong and you're doing wrong, and it's a lot harder to hear when you're doing something wrong. God's instruction to Jonah was to cry out, to proclaim, to tell it like it is. These people are wicked, and they need to know that their wickedness is going to lead to destruction. The command was to cry out, to proclaim the truth. It's not just to say you're wrong, but it's to say you're wrong, but here's the answer. And speaking to Moses, the Lord said to him, Who made man's mouth? Who makes the mute, the deaf, the seeing, the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be your mouth and teach you what to say. Again, at times we don't feel like we know what to say. We feel inadequate. We feel like, I don't know that I'm ready to go to Nineveh and tell them of their need. The Lord tells Ezekiel, you shall speak my words, whether they hear or whether they refuse, for they are rebellious. Again, I think the important point there is, if the Lord gives instruction to go and to do something, we don't need to worry about the outcome. We simply need to surrender to the instruction that he gives. Jonah was told to go and proclaim his word, and that's what we need to be ready to do at all times. And we'll wrap up here in Second Timothy chapter 4 this morning. In Second Timothy chapter 4, we'll read verses 1 through 5 <clears throat> about being ready, about preaching the word. Paul writes, I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things. Endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. There's a charge here. Jonah was charged to cry out. There's a charge here to us in the New Testament to confirm is the thought of charge, to to confirm a thing by testimony, to testify, to cause it to be believed. To preach the word is to herald it like Jonah was to do, to cry out with words and actions to the people of Nineveh. To be ready, as we read here, be ready in season and out of season. How How does that happen? Did anybody get ready for church today? No. You can tell I didn't spend a lot of time getting ready for church today. Some spent a lot more time than that just in physically putting this together. This didn't take much time at all. But do we get ready for church besides just putting on clothes? Do we pray for church? Are we ready when we come here? Are we praying for those like me that have to stand up here and teach and and make up names like Nona? Do we pray for the spirit to move in this place when we assemble together, that's part of being ready. Again, when we go out into our daily business, and again, I'm not creating a checklist of things for us to do, but do we pray when we walk into our office or our workplace? Just ask the Lord, have his way today. Lord, have your way. Maybe I could be a light to somebody in need. Because there's times I drag my feet into my office. There's times I set my bag down on the ground and log in. Like, Oh, here we go. What happened overnight tonight that I need to deal with? That's me. But the Lord impressed upon my heart in this study already. Are we ready? Are we ready to do his will? Are we ready when the Lord calls and says, cry out to Joe down the hall or to Tom across the way? Be ready. Study the word. Assemble. Pray. Listen to the Lord. Again, as we read a moment ago, they may not listen And that's not up to us. 
But if the Lord cries or calls us to cry out, be ready to cry. Be ready to proclaim his word. Again, if you looked at the Ninevites just isolated alone, I would say there's no chance. They're unsavable. They're beyond help. They were a wicked and vile people. We'll talk a little bit more about that next week. But the Lord saw the heart. I wonder if that's what people thought about me before the Lord sent a teacher to speak to me. He's beyond help. He's so hardened. He's so willfully rejecting God's things and walking away from him. I'm glad that there are people who hear, who are ready, and who heed God's call. We'll stop there today. Lord bless you.